0: Do you want to find solutions that help teams make better decisions, solve problems faster and free their creative minds to come up with smarter solutions? There's a workshop for that. Bonjour, I'm Nati Ravez and I'm delighted to welcome to this show facilitators and experts who share their knowledge and experience of everything you need to know in the world of facilitation, giving you tips and tools for leading groups, sparking collaboration and driving innovation thank you for tuning in and let's go Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm thrilled today to introduce you to someone who's not just an expert facilitator, but also a successful entrepreneur. His name is David Finnegan, the founder of Jumble. And with more than a decade of experience, David has been instrumental in helping teams evolve and grow. And if that's not enough, he's been a guiding light in the workshopper Master community for the past months, wearing the heart of a coach. So in today's episode, we are not just talking about the challenges that organizations face. We are also diving deep into the hurdles that we as facilitators need to overcome. So sit tight. This is going to be a ride full of insights. Let's go. Hey David.
1: Hey Nathie, How's it going?
0: Good. I'm very good. And uh you're in Stockholm right now? I am, yes. How is the weather? Is it already cold uh, or it's yeah, okay? Yeah, it's
1: already pretty cold. It's not quite snowing yet. We did have our first little bit of snow. Really? Um a week or so ago, but it's not um it's not white yet. That'll be a couple more weeks, maybe maybe a month. Okay. And then it'll be probably white until March, which uh-huh. is not too bad. But yeah, it's getting dark earlier. It's cold. It's a bit wet.
0: Yeah. yeah. I imagine it's
1: the same in Germany, right?
0: We don't have snow. We have rain. It's not. Yeah. But we, yeah. yeah. I miss the sun, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's uh, definitely a time to get the vitamin D supplements yeah. out and make sure you're getting the, uh, <laughs> not getting that seasonal affective disorder and whatnot. <laughs>
0: David, I'm I'm really happy to have you here. We talked about this since a few months, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's been a while. Before the summer, I think, before all the before the sun went away, for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, but now you're here, and yes. and uh, we know each other since um, since last year, September 2022 or August 2022, because we were at the same facilitation retreat at the time, yeah. and. I can remember one of the workshop or one of the session you gave because it was outside. Uh, We were all on some, what is the name of this? uh,
1: Uh, Beanbag. Yeah, that was a really fun session.
0: (laughs) It was. So David, could you tell me who are you? What are you doing? What is a little bit of your background? And yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. So um, I'm the founder of a company called Jumble. And basically we help teams sort of collaborate more effectively to achieve better results, to increase their leverage um, against their people. So many businesses just don't get enough out of their people. It makes work. They're not enjoying work. So they're not working as much as they could, as efficiently as they could. And we help with that. We use facilitation techniques and a little bit of a collaboration theory um, to help people and teams move in the right direction. And I started that about 18 months ago, a little bit over 18 months now. Um, and before that, I was in this sort of startup space work, as it, working as a UX lead. And that'd be my career path for, or design had been my career path, primary primary career path for about uh, 12 years at that point before I made the decision to switch. Um, to give you the footnotes, we can go into this a little bit more if you're interested uh, started out more general design while I was at university, doing things like pamphlets, leaflets, websites, whatever sort of people needed something that looked nice. Mm-hmm. Nice was is definitely subjective when you're a university student, but nicer than what they had, at least. Um, and then quite quickly found myself going down the sort of UX design career path. Um, it was a big sort of push. UX design was first really going mainstream in the UK at that time. We just had the government digital services basically redesign like the main government websites in the UK, and they used a lot of like uh, user centered design and user experience design processes to achieve those results. Um, and everyone was very much like, oh, we should be doing this too. Um, and yeah, along the way, I got more interested in processes, I, I got more interested in strategy, team dynamics, and at the heart of it, it was all down to that problem I'm, I'm trying to solve now with Jumbo, is that working in teams and working in businesses is really hard. Um, and we kind of sleep on it. We, we sort of sleepwalk through the process a lot of the time. Um, and that kind of eventually led me to feeling like I needed to solve this, and facilitation was the sort of answer to that. Uh, I started maybe eight years ago with my first workshop. Didn't even give it a second thought, what it was. It was just a thing that I was doing with a group of people. Didn't even really have a language for it until maybe four or five years ago. Um, mm-hmm. Was just doing these workshop things. Um, terrible in retrospect, but, you know, that's always the way. Uh, I remember the first one vividly. It was like three hours, no breaks. Uh, everyone was exhausted <laughs> by the end, but it, was, it, it did what I was supposed to do. Um, and eventually I just sort of stitched all these things together. Um, trying to understand because they were all the things I was trying to figure out anyway. You know, I was trying to figure out why is it so difficult? These things shouldn't be as hard. This like working together, shouldn't be this difficult. It shouldn't be this exhausting. Um, And that's kind of what the thesis that I'm working with with jumble now is like, how can I help people not have to work through that thing, uh, that same sort of issue, or how can I untangle the mess, Um, you know, make things go from a jumble to clear clarity Every know, everything knows where they're going. Everyone knows what they should be doing and when they should be doing it. Yeah, so that's the footnotes of uh, my journey towards being a full-time facilitator or business running a business that does facilitation.
0: Yeah, facilitation is your tool to help the teams, actually.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just a method, you know. Uh, I'm sure we'll get more into this later, but for me, it's, it's really just a method. Um, and it's just the most effective method I've found because while I can go away and set a strategy for someone or you can hire a management consultant to put together a strategy, I've found that if the team hasn't been like directly involved, if they're just being sort of tr- consulted as stakeholders, they don't really have the same buy-in. They don't have the same understanding. And, you know, uh, how many, I should have to think how many sort of strategy documents get just like left on a Google Drive somewhere, never being looked at again. And the t- businesses just do the same and when you say, well, what's your strategy? They just repeat that one-liner from the top the mm-hmm. top of the presentation and go from there. And the same with like design projects. Um, sometimes it's fine if you just like, need a website, you're not going to look at it again, but you're outsourcing product work um, unless you're directly in- involved in that process as well. If you're just a stakeholder in your own product, then it's, it's kind of difficult to engage people with it, engage with direction, understand the decisions. Uh, fully so i like facilitation because it engages critical people in that process to build their understanding to understand you know how they went from a to b to c to a solution um, or an outcome Um, it doesn't lead the lead the team with these big gaps that are just going to result in more gaps further down the road as everything gets more further away from that initial project so that's why i like facilitation
0: yeah it has a a better impact on uh, on the solutions that have been found by the people who are creating the solutions, so the the people of the teams, and not someone who is coming then and yeah. say, "Oh, I have a great idea." And yeah, yeah exactly. I understand? Yeah.
1: So, when you need an ownable solution, that's when facilitation is really effective. Um, if you don't need something that's ownable, you just need an artifact, or and I think like an example of something that doesn't need to be. As ownable might be a brand uh, in in an early startup, they just need like a visual identity. They don't necessarily need to like adopt it too much and work with it too much. They just need a few templates for presentations and whatnot. And that might not be somewhere where I would think facilitation would be all that helpful. They just want to they just want to give you a scope and to get something beautiful back that they can they can use, but don't really need to understand all of the nuance to it. But at the same time, then if you get to a much bigger business and they need a brand identity marketing, you know everyone needs, the marketing team needs a better brand identity. They need a better understanding of all the different decisions of visual language and everything. At that point, a workshop would be great, or facilitation would be really useful because there's a lot of different people and different perspectives that need to be taken in, into consideration. Decisions that need to be made because the actual solution is more ambiguous.
0: And you are helping the teams to. Collaborate better to then get better results.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: What are the the challenges or the deepest want that you see in team collaboration? Since you've been working with lots of lots of them.
1: Yeah, I mean the general teams. Uh, this is a more of a recent thing for me. I, I, my background is definitely in product, um, but I'm sort of finding more and more that the need is beyond sort of product teams now. But I think the most fundamental issue is the, the systems that are in place today in most businesses. They're very traditional.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I say traditional, but like they're 20 years old. Uh,
0: yeah.
1: You know, um, people think, still think that like agile is a modern process, but it came out in the 2000s. It's almost 20 years old. And it hasn't really It's, it's evolved, but it hasn't like progressed all of that much since then. Um, so a lot of businesses are still are running on like old operating systems, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, we kind of add haphazardly without really properly understanding the need um, for different processes. We we're, often businesses are quite lazy in that regard. They they just sort of think, "Hey, we need a more efficient delivery process. Uh, we'll just do Scrum, or we'll just do Agile, or." Our strategy is not very like we're not getting very good results on our strategy right now. We'll just do OKRs, but the challenge there is that when we, um, when we communicate with one another in those terms, I could say agile to you, and you'd under, You might picture a circle,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: then I'm saying agile, picturing a triangle. Um, we're both speaking the same language, but we have a different share. We do have a different understanding of what that word means. So you're, it's not really you're not really aligned. Um, that leads to all sorts of challenges, um, where it's kind of implemented in different shades across the organisation, and it creates a lot of like system-wide business debt uh, or organisational-wide business debt. And then the more you sort of produce, you pursue this productivity, the more rigid that system becomes. We see vertical collaboration in particular suffers because, you know, leaders typically as organizations grow or mature, they want more predictability. They're more, they want more, they want to feel in control. Um, and that kind of erodes trust. They end up in this situation where they're not really trusting the the people because they don't know them. Um, so they're saying, hey, like we just need a predictable system that's going to produce good enough results and as you add more and more of those processes you're getting good enough feeding into another system that expects good enough so you're just getting like diminishing returns on the people people get less engaged and then their individual egos start to flare up yeah um you know they want they want people typically want to do good work uh, at an individual level but when you're not getting that out of your job um you get individual. you become like individually focused So you're like, what can I get out of the job? So given my background is in design, let's use a designer as an example. Um, I know designers who can throw together a prototype in two, three days, and it's really high fidelity, really high quality. And then I know also very talented designers who will take three to six weeks to do the same task. The difference isn't the skill or capability. The difference is the setting that they're working in. So they're working in a setting where you know, the, the first example is working in a setting where they're in a high-trust team. Um, everyone's relying on one another. Everyone trusts one another to get things done at a certain time. And they know that the, they're working together through a collective result.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're not just aiming to create. their Their task is not just to create the prototype. We are all working together to create an outcome or a result. The second designer is individually focused. Their job has been reduced to just creating designs. They don't have a broader control. And once they they let go of this thing, they're never going to see it again. They have no understanding of the bigger result because they're not involved in the bigger result. It goes out. They don't get the numbers for how it performed, anything like that. They're just churning out work. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the second designer is going to spend longer on it because they they feel like they need to get it right first time. That Mm -hmm. causes huge issues. Because that individual focus, they're focused both from the benefit of the, the work, but they're also looking at it from their own perspective, right? Like I need to do this because I need something to show for my job, build a portfolio, build a CV, so that I can continue to get you know jobs in the future. So that creates a huge amount of inefficiency in the business because everyone, every individual is focused on their, their own in, own outcomes. Yeah. Unpicking that, really difficult. Um, we'll get a little bit more into that soon. But I think like as a whole, that's like the, the biggest one and then beyond that the the long-term consequences of that is you get a very political organization uh you know it's actually insane the amount of times i'm in the last few years i've heard people describe their business the, the place they work as it being like game of thrones yeah i'm like god it's, that's awful <laughs> like who wants to work in that environment uh certainly not me and uh, usually not them either but they don't know what else to do
0: um, yeah yeah,
1: it's become so normalised for people as well. This sort of political environment, um, and it's really like politics in in an organization is like the antithesis of like productive collaboration.
0: So you know that there are these challenges that need to be healed. Mm-hmm. How do you approach organizations to, yeah, to to propose your services because. I think most of the organization are aware that there are some challenges and um that the challenges need to be fixed, but I don't know if they are really aware about the deepest ones that need to be healed. It, it means they know they have challenges, but they are not really searching about the cause and they are not really aware what we are proposing as a workshop facilitator and I would like to know how do you approach this organization? Are they coming to you or are you approaching them?
1: For me, I'm doing a lot of outreach and connecting with a lot of people, networking um, with different people at different levels of of various organizations. Um, The first thing for me is really just uh, demonstrating. So that's all I'm looking for for initial engagement is I'm not looking to and pitched them a 12 month engagement where we go through like a change process. I'm not, I don't position myself as a change consultant, um, or anything like that. I'm just trying to find the the sort of challenge that they have that I can help resolve.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so how, like, often it did these sit in like two primary areas right now. Um, it's either they are directionless, like they're just build, they're just in a sort of builds endless build cycle where it's all driven by stakeholders and there's no strategy. Strategy, or they're in a more um, trying to go fast, like a cycle of just trying to get more and more out of the, t- the limited time that they have. So it's either like okay, like your strategy doesn't really seem to be there <laughs> at all. Um, or it's like, we've got this sort of idea slash maybe solution that we are, we want to move fast on how can we do that? That's kind of like the two primary areas that I, I would initially engage with someone. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, then it's a kind of a simple journey for me at this stage. It's usually like, okay, first of all, we're going to firm up the strategy. Like if we continue to work together, it would be like, okay, first we're going to firm up the strategy. Then we're going to see where we can go faster, and then afterwards, I'm going to help you self-actualize on that. So, it's to put it simply, um, what I do is I just try and find one large enough collaboration gap mm-hmm. that I can address efficiently to demonstrate like, the power of this thing. So it's not—I I don't think selling facilitation as a, a, a by itself is particularly effective. I think you have to sell like you have to solve a problem for them. And then once you've solved the problem for them, or you've solved a few problems for them, then it's about transitioning them over to, or at least for me, like like what I aim to do is I aim to transition them over to be able to do this by themselves. Yeah. So start doing training and coaching and support rather than just sort of being their continuous facilitator. um, Because that's really what's going to make an impact on their teams. Um, is that they have people who can like identify and address collaboration gaps within those teams. If they don't have that, then, like, yeah, they're going to keep on hiring a facilitator. But I, I don't know. I think that's kind of not the ideal outcome for me. Uh, as counterintuitive intuitive as it might sound, I don't want to continue work to, for people to have to rely on me long term. I want them to be at a point where they no longer need to rely on me, or they don't need to rely on me all of time. Ta- all of the time, like maybe they can call me back in eighteen months or two years when they have a really big, ambiguous challenge they want to address. But I don't want to be pulled into like, "Hey, David, how could you? Uh, could you come in and do this four-hour product feature workshop?" Um, it's kind of I've done a lot of that uh, throughout my career. Now they're not overly complex. Uh, not overly challenging and there's not like a huge amount of misalignment there. So I think those are the sort of tasks, uh, things that we should, or that uh, jumble. We want to help more people actually do themselves um, because I think that's the, that's what's going to slowly start picking these sort of uh, highly political organizations is people just understanding that, okay, we can create clarity ourselves. We can work together. We can build trust with one another. We can defer... <laughs> We can trust the decision maker to make a decision without being like, ah, oh, but I don't really feel comfortable with this. It, it's it's a very good sandbox to build collaboration. It's not the total answer, but uh, like facilitation isn't going to make every business work better, um, but it's certainly going to help most businesses do a little bit more better.
0: Yeah, and how do you train that? Do 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 you give? I mean, do you give some workshops that the people who you trained are? shadowing you or you are shadowing them then
1: um so in terms of facilitation it's uh so it's like facilitation workshop design um it's first a um four half day session four half day sessions of training Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we have uh, ongoing support for six to 12 months depending on, on the size and then that's just them sort of you know being able to email me or drop me a message and maybe if I can't solve it via text uh, communications I'll jump on like a short call with them Um, and all that does is it just allows them to sort of tackle things themselves and I I like addressing it that way because by putting that barrier I have to sort of to getting on a call with me they have to think about it yeah so it's rather than just being like, yeah, you just book a call with me whenever you want. Then I'm just going to get calls with people going like, yeah, you know, I kind of want to do a workshop that's about this. And, you know,
0: um, yeah, you want them to think about before I give their structure and if exactly. they, and if they, like, they have really something special that you can help with then. Yeah.
1: Like I don't mind looking at a workshop for people and being like, yeah, that looks reasonable or here's like a couple of thoughts. But if someone's coming to me and going like, "I want to do a workshop like this," my answer is like, "Hey, you know, think about this a bit more before we talk." <laughs> um, and that's and I'm basically training them. I give them, I work through like the different types of operating systems you can use for facilitating workshops or designing workshops. I give them a few templates. We do a bit of practical, learn by doing stuff, um, and then we walk through like workshop design in a bit, bit of detail. And then from that, they get. Um, a dozen like easy approachable templates um, as well as uh, yeah it's about a dozen maybe 15 work um, interesting exercises that they can use as well in the design process Um, and from there it's it's usually quite effective there's obviously the challenges that like you know I've been doing this for so much longer and like I take things for granted Yeah, Um, but I think the by and large, it's it's helping them, um, and it's particularly good for organisations that have had like have limited access, have had limited exposure. Uh, it's maybe less, this approach would be maybe less effective for someone who's like for a company that's trying to replace an effective facilitator mm-hmm. um, and trying to train their team because they're going to have like a massive drop in um, standards for a while. Um, yeah, so like that. That's basically how I try and get them through this. Uh, <laughs> This journey
0: yeah nice so you've been working with a lot of facilitators if I understand because you train people who will take over the facilitation part in uh, in companies but you've been also in the last I think the last year you've been also a, a guest uh, coach um, mm-hmm. for the workshopper master community and we have of course a lot of facilitators listening to this podcast Yep. I would be very curious to have your opinion about what are the the most common struggles that have facilitators who reach out in these coaching calls?
1: Um, I'd say broadly, the most common was how to find clients and do marketing. Yeah. Um, uh, both for my questions, John and anyone else who, uh, was, on the, who was running calls. Um, but there was like, I'd say like two broad profiles. There was people who are focusing on learning facilitation
0: mm-hmm. and
1: people who are focused on learning facilitation to start a business yeah, or go freelance. Um, so obviously, and I think it was more people who wanted to go freelance or who were already freelance and wanted to do more facilitation. So like, that's why we saw so much like um, stuff around clients and marketing on those calls. My general advice understanding that i'm still figuring a lot of this stuff out myself having only been in uh, business just over 18 months um it's just start yeah you know you need to like facilitation can be a very lucrative um career but what people miss is that because of the size of engagements you need a much higher volume of clients and that if i was a design consultant um it, i could have one client and i'd make 20 grand a month. If I do, I might need twice, two clients, three clients to get to it. De- like I might earn more, but I, in order to fill my time, so to speak, to be properly allocated and to not be like, sort of sat there doing nothing or just doing sales and marketing all the time, I would need, I need a lot more volume. Um, and you want that, you know, you want the volume, you're also not getting repeat business every month from those clients. You know, I do have some larger clients who I work with regularly, but generally speaking, you know, compared to a t- typical consultant who would just be like, "Okay, it's a six-month contract," and you're like, "Great, that's 120 grand." Um, facilitator might do like one workshop for 10 grand, and then the client might not talk to them for nine months yeah. before they need another workshop. So you just to cover the same volume for if you do if your standard workshop offer is 10 grand, you need 12 clients compared to one, a typical design consultant whom I only need one client for a on a six month contract. So you need to understand these things if you're going into freelance uh, or creating a facilitation business, the volume is different. Um, and you need, like my method right now is fairly rudimentary. I uh, do a lot of content marketing on LinkedIn. I do a lot of conversations. If those conversations lead to specific challenges that they're experiencing, that might lead to a call. And then those calls will lead to a sales call, which leads to a proposal. Um, yeah. It's it's not more advanced than that, but it's work. The nice thing, though, is that because facilitation is a short, it's usually higher margin and shorter engagements is that you find yourself with a lot of time to do sales and marketing. Yeah, It's not always great when you've got that time because sometimes you feel pretty bad about what's going, not knowing what's coming in a few months' time. Um, but it does lend itself to you having that capacity. You just need to be strict about it, and you need to constantly move up that ladder. You know, I can't just the, my business won't scale um, to the point I want to scale it with the current system. So there's like fix constantly improving the system, running the system, delivering. So it's like a lot of a lot to handle. I mean, you know this. You you also do. Yeah. So <laughs> it's a it's a lot to juggle. Um, in this, in the early stages.
0: If you're a workshop facilitator and you're struggling to find your own value proposition, the type of workshop you really want to offer, the one that exactly meets the needs of the customers you'd like to work with, or if you want to refine your offering and make it more clear and attractive to your customers, book a free call with me so we can discuss how I can be a sparing partner in one-to-one sessions to guide you towards your ideal offer. All the contact information in the show notes. I think the point is you need to be disciplined Yeah. to do this. You need to stay constant Mm -hmm. to do this. I mean, doing LinkedIn or stuff or marketing or calls is not for fun. Um, It's good if
1: you enjoy it, though.
0: Yeah, of course. (laughs) Of course, of course. But you cannot enjoy every day. I mean, you cannot enjoy every day. So you have to yeah to schedule time to prepare it and to give some valuable things, and not only yeah um yeah. hey, hello, I'm here, and I do yeah, this, and definitely. a great photo and but to give some advices and to give some value,
1: definitely, definitely, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was the, the first I think the most common like thread, yeah um the second I think was more from like people who are recent joiners to the um to the community, and that was like adapting. new method this new method that they were learning and then a little bit later than that it was like adapting workshops to like a specific niche or challenge so that was really just about like those sort of questions were often just about like how do I think more like a workshopper um you know how do I start thinking in terms of like where to use specific exercises and how to use them that was I think a very common question and that would represent itself Often in fairly rudimentary ways, like oh, well, I don't really understand how my ways. Can you help me understand them? Um, and then more deep would be like they have specific challenges in their business and they want help with the with the challenge. You know, so I've designed this workshop or I'm thinking about designing this workshop. Can we walk through that? Um, really, just them adapting that uh, to the, this new way of working for them. Um, I saw that a lot. And then I think the subtext though, rather than the specific questions, the subtext I think is like what was who was successful? Um, who who did I see that were like what sort of profiles were most successful versus those who sort of kept returning with similar challenges or similar questions. Um and I think the people who were um most successful were the ones who got out the sandbox as quickly as possible. Um so I don't really know anyone from those coaching calls from the work and master community who started putting themselves out there and offering facilitation as a service that hasn't made money from it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you know anyone. We are also, you're also part of that community, but yeah, I don't know if, I, I actually don't know anyone who's tried and failed. Um, I know people who haven't tried and then, and have just sort of walked away and said like, Oh, this is too hard. Um, but yeah, I honestly I like it is that much that that simple I think it's just like get out of the sandbox go do those things and those are the people that took that advice and like ran with it who actually started to make stuff happen. I yeah. there was a lot of people who were just like, you know, uh, they'd spend hundreds of hours learning and reading books and uh practicing with others and you know, they'd be on coaching calls every week and I get it like it's it, like some people really like learning but like then they'd be like, oh, but I don't work for free. And it's like, okay, but you spend 100 hours learning something, like practicing, learning hundreds of hours even, but then refuse to do like a four-hour workshop for free for a business where you would probably learn, you would accelerate your skills much quicker. I mean, that was like the most common challenge is that people were sort of like, I'm only going to do this if I can get paid to do it. But the reality is, if you want to start doing this and you don't have you're not in a team where you have opportunities to do it. Maybe you're just out by yourself. You're trying to switch careers. You probably do need to do some free work because uh, facilitation is like a practice that requires repetition and it requires participation. You know, you need to get people who are going to, you you need to run sessions where people are going to disagree with the process uh, or where they're going to to challenge you or they're going to, I don't know, be texting on their phone or they're going to be late back from lunch and screw up your time plan Um, like all of these things you you just don't really account for until you actually experience them yeah so I think like of the coaching calls the most consistent theme that I saw is that the people who made real progress um, and I I see this as well with my clients is the people who make real progress in this are the people who don't spend all of their time in books but in books like on the academic side and you know you see behind me like the I, I love reading but I think there's like, there's this concept of like just in time versus just in case learning. And I believe that like just in time learning is much more effective because it, it like internalizes it or I don't believe it. I know that um, just in time learning is way more effective. If you learn something, put it into practice, you, you internalize it much more quickly than just like learning it in case you get the opportunity to do something. So like if you want to adapt to new ways of working, like, to do facilitation you need to create opportunities yeah i still think you need some degree of learning but like maybe 10 20 hours um i don't think it's something that you need to spend hundreds and hundreds of hours learning before you start getting uh, you start doing it um i think it should be a sort of you know uh a staircase you know yeah. like learn do learn do learn do i think that's how i see people progress the most uh successfully uh, both as freelancers and internal facilitators, so when they're constantly creating opportunities for themselves rather than waiting for them to present themselves.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. I think we tend um, because it's uh, for for a lot of people who are um, discovering this. It's like a wonderland of uh, a thousands of methods, yeah. and yeah. and you get, of course, every week when you are when you are following a few of the facilitators thousands of books that you can read thousands mm-hmm. of methods games whatever um, I know this because I was there one year ago and I started to oh, I need to know visual facilitation. I need to know design thinking I need to know playful uh, thinking and whatever everything mm-hmm. and all the communities and then you can get lost and uh, actually yeah. you need to do workshops to understand how it works to ask yourself the good questions because at the beginning maybe we tend to go a little bit too broad with the thing and we have to understand that we have to go de- deeper with this i completely agree with you yeah. you need to train you need to yeah. to give workshops even for free to make yeah. yourself better more confident and then you can sell differently of course because you know the value that you're bringing
1: yeah and people might even recommend you for stuff uh, like like you could you start actually operating like a business and even though you're not generating cash when you start doing things for free um, and i'm not saying that you should be working for free for a year before you're going to get i don't think that but you know two three workshops while you're learning um why not
0: you
1: know i've never really understood this like oh don't work for free thing it's like yeah don't work for free if you can charge people but i would rather have like even now, um, I'd rather have my like free work in my calendar where I can learn something and grow than no work. Yeah. Um. So like, it might be a controversial stance. Maybe I'm gonna get I don't know, flamed when we post this on LinkedIn. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I don't like. I don't think it devalues anything. Um, you know, it, it just it's a method for building confidence. Yeah, um, and if you don't have to do it for free then don't do it for free do it for cheap um, but if you like I think the the primary challenge is that different people create confidence through different ways and it's not introverts extroverts like I've heard that argument before um, because you know I know some very introverted people who are fantastic facilitators um, and extroverts too I think it's it's more about Taking risks to build confidence. Um, so if you are, you know, on your second or third t- career, you know, switching again, you probably are much more adapted, like taking those risks to build confidence. But if you're sort of on your first career switch, um, or even your first, like your first job, like first time adopting a skill and commercializing it, like you need to take some risks to build that confidence. Um, but I think a lot. Facilitation is very different because it requires that participa- participation.
0: Yeah. It doesn't
1: – you can't you, – it's not like design or development where you can just spend 500 hours doing fake apps or developing webs- fake websites, and it doesn't work that way. You can't do in uh, – do alone. You you can only – you have to do. You, you you have to do with others, and ah, it, it's hard. It's hard to create those opportunities that's probably the major barrier I think most people find you know it goes back to that first question finding clients
0: yeah
1: um, but of course it's also it's it's going to be hard to find clients if you aren't even confident enough to run a workshop alone yeah exactly uh, you know so yeah you have to build build that thing and I think that was what came across the most for me in those coaching calls is there were people there and I'm not you know there were people there who were just like you know there's i'm gonna do this i'm going for it and then there was others that were like waiting almost waiting for permission yeah. um or for people to find them and yeah that again to go back to the first question of marketing that's another thing is that like even if you're very effective in like content marketing the chances of someone just being like seeing a post and then just reaching out to you is like very small you need to also open doors to people yourself and get yourself out there yeah um have conversations with people, network with them. Because um, those are that's how opportunities come, come about when you're starting out.
0: Thank you, David. You're welcome. Thank you so much for all the insights. And I really recommend anyone to have a look to your post on LinkedIn. Oh, thank you. I learned a lot from your post. So thank you for being here. See you the next time. I think there will be some nice stuff coming up. Uh, in the next time and we will announce it on the podcast so
1: wonderful yes i look forward to the next time and uh, this was fun and uh yeah see you next time
0: see you next time bye-bye <laughs> Be sure to check out David's LinkedIn profile and click on the bell as he gives week after week of advice and thoughts on collaboration issues in organizations and what's important to understand to help them solve these problems. You'll find the link in the show notes. In our next episode, I'm talking with Maria Wischmann. Imagine leaving a well-paying job as an acoustic development engineer to follow your passion. That's exactly what Maria did. She will share how career coaching and becoming part of empowering communities helped her transition into a career she's passionate about. Maria now helps German business owners to plan the transition of their business to a new owner so the senior can retire. We'll explore how she guides them to align with potential business successors despite the communication challenges between generations and in this emotional process. Until then, keep facilitating, keep growing and most importantly, keep making an impact and of course, I wish you good health, successes and a lot of happiness. Au revoir